All right, come back to, we're going to keep our series going, uh, called 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity. And the goal, the kind of the big idea of this series is, comes to this quote by the author, each of us must think carefully for ourselves about what we believe. And we're taking some time to look carefully at some questions um, that are anticipated that you might have or that the world around you has based upon assumptions about what they think Christianity is and what it isn't. So we're just taking some time to look at how, how God's Word might answer some of these questions. And tonight we're looking at the question of, can Jesus be true for you, but not for me? It's a question of, is relativism, or uh, whatever it is you want to call that, what's the other one we said? Pluralism, Pluralism thank you. Um, how does Christianity confront those ideas? And, and I kind of like... Uh, rephrase this question in three ways that may be more helpful. Uh, so can Jesus be true for you, but not for me? Another way of saying this is this, is Jesus exclusive or absolute? Meaning can Christianity be true for all people of all times and all places? So it's a question of, is there such a thing as absolute truth? Is there absolute or ultimate religious truth, moral truth? Does that exist in the world? Or are we just kind of like picking and choosing as we go and, and from all these different things and and, and making up kind of our own religion in our own image, right? So is Jesus exclusive or absolute? Or another way is, uh, you know, this phrase is, is, is comes up all the time. I'm not sure if it comes up in your, um, in, in, in when you talk to others, but when I talk to people, uh, people my age and, and, and uh, around my age, I mean, it's a millennial thing, but this, this idea of my truth and your truth is, is, a, is language that we use nowadays. So is, in a my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth world, is it immoral or impressive or uh, whatever you, word you would use there to impose your truth on others, right? Is it wrong to, to assume that there is such a thing that, that it's not necessarily my truth and your truth, but the truth? And then another way of saying it is, is it right for me to impose my beliefs upon others? Which I think is a question probably for most of you. I would say probably most of you believe that Christianity is true, that Jesus really is God and that he died and rose again. And, uh, but you may be wondering, well, I have my belief, but is it okay for me, or should I expect to impose that belief upon other people? Um, which I think is more, uh, more of a, um, a relevant question for those who may grow up in church. Is I have what I believe, but am I allowed? Is it okay? Can't people just have what they believe? Why do I have to impose my beliefs upon them? Um, you know, I, I've made the decision personally to follow Christ, but, but should I, is it right for me to project that upon others, okay? So let's look at John 14, 6 and how Jesus might answer these questions. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. Uh, verse 1 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. Uh, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I, I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. And then Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, these are um, very freeing uh, terms, that you are the way, the truth, and life. But oftentimes we believe it to be restrictive. And um, help us tonight to, to learn more of what it means that you um, spoke boldly to others about how you are the way and the truth and the life. And that would you empower us to believe that, but also to, to give us uh, humility and boldness to speak as well. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, this is a skeptical panda up there on the screen. Um, you know, skepticism is really a thing. Uh, Y'all are kind of raised in a, in a very skeptical environment. I was raised in a skeptical environment. You know, we're told um, by the culture that we live in, by others, uh, to, always, to always doubt what you hear, to be skeptical of what people tell you, and to be, be, be self-thinkers or self-reliant thinkers and think for yourself. John, these, John Dewey was a, um, was a psychologist, and these three are also. Here's what they have to say about skepticism. Skepticism, the mark and even the pose of the educated mind. He's saying this assumption from this quote by this philosopher is that if you are to be educated, you cannot just take in what other people tell you. You have to be a self-thinker. You have to be skeptical of what you hear and debunk other people's thoughts and arguments and therefore build up your own and have ownership over your own mind. That is the, um, the mark of the educated mind. Thomas Huxley says this, the improver of natural knowledge absolutely refuses to acknowledge authority. Uh, right? It's saying here that if you want to be free, if you want to truly know, then you will reject authority. You will say that whatever is over me, whatever is telling me what to believe or how to believe or what to do is to, to reject them. That's the mark of true knowledge. Uh, for him, skepticism is the highest of duties. Blind faith is the one unpardonable sin, right? Um, Christianity, for many, is to believe to be a blind faith. But if you've heard me talk about faith, true faith is an orientation about what you believe to be true. It's you believe this thing and know this thing to be true, that you know that this chair can hold you up, and therefore you sit in it. That is what true Christian faith is. Of course, there, are, there is ambiguity, and there is the reality that Jesus died and rose again 2,000 years ago, but it's an orientation to believe in Jesus is to orient yourself around the reality that He is truly God and that He truly rose again, and therefore I truly believe. It's not a blind faith. Of course, you are believing in other people's testimonies uh, who experienced it firsthand, but it is not a blind faith as many people believe and philosophers believe. Uh, Voltaire says this, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you also commit atrocities. You know, many believe that if you were to assume that there is absolute truth or is that there is, there, is, there is something absolutely true about something, that that is oppressive. Because if somebody's making you believe something, they are imposing upon you control and therefore oppression. And in the age of skepticism, to believe that something is to be true and not to be skeptical of it and, um, uh, you know, uh, think for yourself or, or, or discern for yourself or, or uh, debunk arguments or, or whatever. It's, uh, if somebody is trying to make you believe something, it's because they're trying to control you. They're trying to domineer you. They're trying to get you to believe something because they want something from you. But those who believe in that argument also, well, how do you not know that if you're telling me to be skeptical, you're not trying to can, you know, uh, control me and, and, and make me be skeptical. What makes me not say that I can be skeptical of what you're telling me to be skeptical? Am I making sense? I'm making sense of my brain, but my words aren't, right? If you tell me to be skeptical, and I'm skeptical of you telling me to be skeptical, then therefore you're not true, right? Does that make sense? I can be skeptical? Anyway, we'll move on. C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man says this, right? You cannot go on explaining away forever. You cannot always go saying every, and being skeptical of everything and saying everything is not true. You cannot go explaining away forever. You will find that you've explained explanation itself away. You cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. 
It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or garden beyond it is opaque. How if you saw through the garden too? Is it, not you, is it no use trying to see through first principles? If you see through everything, then everything is transparent. But a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through all things is at the same time not to see. So to be skeptical of everything and to believe nothing means to be nothing. If everything is a window and every belief system and everything you've ever been taught and told is to be seen through so that you can see something true, well, then you'll never see anything at all. Do you all get that? Is that making sense? Is that a little bit better of an illustration? Right? Windows exist so that you can see through them. And the goal that we have and the goal of, of what I want you to think about is that skepticism is actually good. It's actually good to be skeptical of what you hear and what you see. But there's a right skepticism that I want you to, to know, a discernment that I want you to know through what Jesus says when he claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. That there is so many things that you could believe, and I, and, and I want you to have a mind that discerns and they can see through to see what is true. So this question, can Jesus be true for me but not for you? Um, I would say that Jesus is absolutely absolute. And when he talks about himself, he talks about himself as being the way, the truth, and the life. That he is the ultimate authority. He is the truth. He is the only way, the door to God, to heaven. And he is the only name under heaven and earth in which we have true, everlasting life. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' claims here are absolutely absolute. He is saying that truth exists. He is saying that you cannot be skeptical of everything. You can't be skeptical of some things, but there is one thing that you could be absolutely sure of, and that He is the way, the truth, and the life. The way to God, the truth of God, and the life from God. Now, I remember I went to London once, and I, it was a mission trip, and it was, um, it was an area that was mostly um, Hindu, Sikh, and Buddhist. And uh, it's common in Buddhist belief, uh, because it's not necessarily a theology, it's more of a philosophy. It's common for Buddhists to believe this phrase, that all roads lead to God. And that um, life is, in, in religions and worldviews are kind of like, have you all heard the elephant illustration? Like if everybody has a blindfold on and we're all touching different parts of the elephant and I'm touching the belly and I describe it to be like, oh, it's this really flat surface, right? It's a poem called The Blind Man and the Elephant. It's, uh, seven, it's about seven blind men who go to see an elephant. So it's, a, it's an actual poem. There you go. So right, you get that, right? And one touched the tail and it's like, you know, this is the skinny thing. One touched the trunk. This is this big wobbly thing, right? That's kind, of a, that's kind of a worldview that's kind of embedded itself in America in these days. We kind of just have this, this view that I just kind of pick and choose from different worldviews and different religions of what makes sense to me. And I kind of create this belief system in my own image. And if I'm just a good person, I'm good enough, if I do enough good deeds, and I believe in something transcendent, that if there is a God, He'll just accept me for who I am, and I'll go to heaven one day. It's a very, very common belief. Um, but here Jesus says that He is the way. That there are not multiple ways to God. There's not Islam, there's not Buddhism, there's not secularism, there's not Christianity, there's not Judaism. It's that the, the, the way to God is not to follow a, a, a map of divine directives, but really the way to God is through a person. It's in relationship to who? To Jesus. Not in a map that you must follow um, or a goodness you must obtain. All roads don't lead to God. If you believe that, 
then you've got to be skeptical of that belief because if you were to look at the, the major four religions in the world, three-fourths of the world are made up of four religions, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism. If you were to sit down with a, with a Christian that truly believes in Christianity, a Muslim who truly believes in Islam, a Buddhist who truly believes in Buddhism, and a Hindu who really believes in Hinduism, they are not going to describe to you the same theology, beliefs about God. They're not going to explain to you the same ways of getting to God. And they're not going to explain to you the same ethic or moral standards in light of who this God is. There's going to be some things that there's comparison on, but not everything. When it comes down to it, these four religions don't agree. So therefore, they don't believe that all roads lead to God. It's mostly the other quarter who are a quarter of whoever else um, secular thought or atheism or whatever else it may be that impose this belief system that all roads lead to God that then project themselves on these four major religions. But these four major religions, if you ask them, if you cut them open and look, look in deep, they, they assume four very different things. And Jesus himself said that he is the way. So Christianity itself, the claims of Jesus say that there is not a way or multiple ways to this one God, but he is the way. And we look at Jesus also claims to be the truth. And if, if you wonder what that means, that is kind of confusing. What does he mean by he is the truth, right? It means that he is the ultimate authority. And what he says is truly true. That's what Jesus means when he says it is the truth. And it's what he is saying in light of that because he is the truth, you can trust him at his word. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. You know, um, maybe you, to quote a really well-known C.S. Lewis uh, quote again, you know, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. If you've never heard that before, what it means is this, is that Jesus claimed some very, very exclusive things. He claimed to be God. He claimed that he would rise from the dead. He claimed that he was the way, the truth, and the life, which was controversial, majorly controversial in the Roman world that he, he was a part of, um, the Greco-Roman world, because they believed in pantheism. And they believe that in multiple gods, in multiple ways to God, in multiple things. So Jesus was either a liar or a lunatic. That he said these claims and he just made them all up. Or he was absolutely crazy to talk about how he was going to raise from the dead and heal people and do all these things. Or he really, really is Jesus. He really, really is God the Messiah. That he really did die and raise from the dead and is worthy of our whole and entire attention. You can't, there's no third direction. There's no such thing as apathy. There's no such thing as ignoring. He's either a crazy man or he really is God. So therefore, he's not just a God. He's just not a God for you who grew up in church and, and other people who don't grow up in church have a different God. That he is God of everything. That he is the creator. That he is, when John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and this word created all things. He really is God in fleshed. He is the truth. To know the truth is to know Jesus, and to know Jesus is to know the truth. Either what he said is true, and he must be accepted as Lord by everyone, not just you, but everyone, or he isn't, and he must be rejected by everyone. And then lastly, he's the life. When God created Adam and Eve, he breathed his breath of life into them, and they became alive. Life. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were cast from, their pres from God's presence, which would ultimately lead to their death. 
When Jesus comes and he ministers amongst people, he brings them life. Not just relationally, he was just a good friend, but he gave the blind sight. He had a ministry that was restorative. He provided a quality of living that was better. Jesus is the life, the life from God, the breath from God that recreates us and rebirths us, which means that we can find life in none other. We have a, what many people say, a God-shaped hole in our hearts that we are attempting to fill with something, reputation, popularity, I, I don't know, whatever it is that you are inclined to, knowledge, friendships. Jesus is the life. The chief in demand is not personal autonomy, kind of what we talked about in our week one. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Rather, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Good mounties make good relationships. I, I don't know. This was just a marker for me. I don't, don't make too much into that. A marker for me to, to say, explain something. I'm attempting to run a marathon, right? I don't know if I'm going to do it just yet. I'm very non-committal when it comes to these kinds of things because they're expensive. But I'm thinking I'm going to run a half marathon. So I got COVID in, in January, right? And uh, I went to Disney, and then we had all these snow days, and it's icy. So my, my training program's a little a little messed up. So um, I'm thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna regress to a half marathon in March, right? But if I wanted to run a half marathon, in order for me to do that, to have the, the to achieve the goal of running a half marathon, I have to train. I have to eat right, right? I have to fill myself with good nutrition. I have to train and run. If I was just to say I'm gonna run a marathon and eat whatever I want and do whatever I want, and not sleep, and not take vitamins, and eat, I don't know, fried chicken every day, and then I go up to run a, mar- a marathon, what am I, what's going to happen to me? I can't run it, right? So what am I trying to communicate? Well, good boundaries make good whatever, right? If I want to be a good, ba- if I want to be a good runner, I must have good boundaries and discipline myself to run, to eat well, to, to you know, take care of myself, you get, you get the, those, are, those are boundaries that are created in light of a goal that I want to achieve. Well, when we think about what Jesus, Jesus is a life from God, a lot of people assume that ultimate truth is oppressive. To claim that you have the truth and that you know the truth, the religious and moral truth for all humanity, by many people our day and age, is to be viewed as oppressive. You are oppressing me. You're, in, you're not enabling me to walk in the freedom of my desire that is due to me. Right? Individual freedom in our country, in our day and age, really is the highest calling, the highest form that we believe to be life. But if I want to run a marathon, I have to discipline myself and set boundaries in order to do that. In the same way, when it comes to Jesus being the life, right? When Jesus says, if you love me, he says what? Keep my commandments, right? He gives us, he gives us boundaries of what it means to love him so that we can walk in light of the life that we have given him. So when people talk about Christianity, when people say Jesus loves you and he died for you, people are like, great. But he also wants you to live in light of that death that he, that he, that, that he wants you to, to, to die to sin, to turn from these things, to turn from your own individual autonomy and standing on your own two feet and embrace life in him. That's where people have the rub. But here's the thing, is that if Jesus truly is true and he really did die and, and, and raise from the grave, it was because we needed his help. And he rescues us and longs for us to live in light of that resurrected life that he provides for us by living according to him and glorifying him and enjoying him forever. 
So some summary thoughts, right? In closing, there's four things I want you to kind of be thinking about as you go from here. The first thing is to encourage to tell the truth. We're all telling some kind of truth. We're all living some kind of truth. There is some operating standard by which motivates all of us. We're all telling the truth, a truth. So my encouragement to you is to tell the truth. Jesus did not mind his own business. He claimed that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And we can either be stewards of this truth truth, or communicate a Jesus in our own image according to our own truth. We're all communicating a Jesus, a Savior, the thing that will fix humanity. Is it Jesus and Him, or is it something else? And it's not just declarative, right? Are you living? Are you showing people a life that declares that Jesus truly is true and that you trust Him? Not just telling. Are you showing? Secondly is love well, right? We, we really must redefine what we believe it means to love. For a lot of us in our day and age, we believe to love means to tolerate, right? Just to tolerate, just to, to accept. Yeah, I, I just think love is so much more than that. Because if you really truly love someone, you wouldn't accept behaviors that are killing them, right? You would address those behaviors. You would talk to them about it, right? When um, the Titanic sank, and it was sinking, and there were lifeboats. People didn't say, don't get on the lifeboats, stay on the Titanic. They say, no, get on the lifeboats, right? Or whatever, use a, a boat, we have to use the Titanic, right? But you get the point, right? If the boat's sinking and there's lifeboats, are you going to get on the lifeboat, right? You're going to tell people to get on the lifeboat if you're there. The same way, I really do believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The scriptures tell us that he is our savior. He is our hope. Are we telling people to get on the lifeboat of Jesus or not? We must redefine what it believes it means to be oppressive, offensive, and unloving. Jesus loved others by inviting them into what's true, which was himself. All because something disrupts does not mean that it is bad. Y'all need to, y'all need to hear that. All because something disrupts you doesn't mean that it's bad. In my own life, I, Eric, have often grown the most when rightly disrupted when I've had a belief system challenged, or when I've had a way of living that's been destructive exposed by a friend. Disruption in the right way with love is so freeing. And Jesus calls us to love people well by telling the truth, not by tolerating who they are or whatever it may be. If someone was hurting themselves, you would be a good friend and tell them. It would be loving to tell them that they're hurting themselves. Thirdly, be right skeptics. Skepticism is actually good. Right? We should be able to see through the windows so that we can see the gardens. Claiming something to be true is not oppressive, ignorant, primitive, or immoral. Everyone claims a truth claim, even if you claim that there is no truth claim. Therefore, because the truth claim is that there is no truth claim, y'all have heard that before, right? For you to impose on me that there's no such thing as truth is to impose the truth claim that there is no truth. So therefore, you're imposing your, 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 you know, your own argument. Is, is not working. Y'all get that? You have a lot of confused faces out there. <laughs> anyway, we can talk after. Mind blown, but anyway. Be right skeptics, where am I? Everyone has a clue claim, even if you don't claim that there is no truth. Therefore, we must discern what is true from what is false. Seeing what is true by seeing through what isn't, right? Y'all, y'all need discernment. Y'all need, y'all need to be in God's word and understand what is true and what isn't so that you can see through what isn't true, so that you can behold what is, the way, the truth, and life. And fourthly, it's just, just embrace being misunderstood. 
You know, I was uh, flipping through Instagram recently, and I saw Oprah talking about something. And Adele, Adele, uh, y'all know who Adele is. I'm, I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna tell you botch the story. Adele, Adele won an award recently, and in that award, she said, "I love being a woman." And the transgender community uh, went against that phrase, saying that she's transphobic because she said she loves being a woman. I know it's confusing, um, but right. And what I'm trying to say is that is that the world does not get along, right? If the world promises tolerance, promises unity, promises acceptance, but there's nothing to stand on, if the only truth is your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, eventually our truths are going to conflict with one another and you're, and you're going to be not liked by somebody. You can never not be not liked, right? So when it comes to Christianity and, and living for Jesus and embracing the truth and telling the truth in word and deed, embrace the reality that you, Christian, at some point in your life are going to be misunderstood and you're not going to be liked for what you believe. It's going to happen. And here's the thing. If Jesus is your Savior and you're misunderstood, if you're not liked because of it, because of what God is doing through your suffering and through your misunderstanding, He is creating in you more faith, more hope in Him. He uses circumstances that are difficult to change us and to shape us and to make us more like him. So claiming that you have the truth in a your truth, my truth world is incredibly offensive. It is. It's like the chief offense to say that I have something that is true for all of humanity and you must believe what I say is is incredibly offensive to people. And embrace the reality that if you follow Jesus, you will be misunderstood at some point in your life, and you will not be liked. Like, just embrace that reality. But the good news is that, like I said, Jesus is going to use this. Use your not being liked and use your misunder- being misunderstood to do a work to make you better, not to make you more bitter. So can Jesus be true for you, but not be true for me, but not for you? Jesus has to be true for everyone, or he's not true at all. Those are your choices. Either this is all a waste of your time, and you need to go home and never come back, and we're all a bunch of idiots who believe the craziest, most lunatic claim in all of human history, or it truly is true, and you must believe. And not only that, but He is true. And like He said, and He declared to the world that He is the way, the truth, and life, you have a responsibility to do the same. In the same way, like if you had the cure for cancer and you held on it to yourself, you'd be committing a terrible error. In the same way, you have the cure to this problem called sin, that is belief in the person and work of Christ. And it's your responsibility to steward that truth for the betterment of your neighbors, your friends, your family, and those whom you are to come in contact with. Jesus is absolutely absolute. He claimed it. He is it. He is the way to God, the truth of God, and the life from God. May He help us all believe that more fully and communicate that in word and deed more clearly to whoever uh, He puts in our lives. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you. yeah, that we do not sit, stand here as a philosophy club trying to piece together a puzzle from different philosophies and religion and ideologies to, to invent you, but that you came down and told us who you were, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you loved us so much that you would not let us continue in the air of disbelief. Help us to, to be more confident in the reality of this truth. And help us be good stewards and good witnesses to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.